Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Here. Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42, uh, either on your Bible or on your phone. We would love to just have you with us in God's Word. If you don't have either one of those, the words will be on the screen behind me. And before we get going too deep, let's go again to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the worship time that we've had in singing. Now, Lord, as we hear your Word, we worship you through the hearing of your Word. Lord, help us to not just be hearers only, but to be doers. And Father, those who are struggling to break free, God, would you give them freedom? For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 42, let's stand as we read God's word. Psalm 42, begin in verse number one. Psalm 42, verse one. The Holy Spirit says through the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad, glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I again shall praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I again shall praise him, my salvation and my God. You may be seated. We are experiencing a crisis in America. It's not because of a balloon floating in the sky, but it is a mental health crisis. No doubt you've heard statistic after statistic for those who are struggling with mental health out of COVID-19. One of the area, one, of, one particular group of people that has struggled probably the most in recent years has been the young people. 
According to an article in The Atlantic from 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness rose from 26% in 2009 to 44%. As a matter of fact, more than one in four girls reported that they had seriously contemplated attempting suicide. Another survey found that seven out of 10 teenagers struggle with mental health. But I want you to understand that mental health issues are not just a young people thing. Do you know the two top prescribed medications in America? Antacids and antidepressants. So in other words, we're eating wrong and we're thinking wrong. Depression has been called the dark night of the soul. Novelist William Strayton said that depression is a dreadful raging disease like a howling tempest in the brain. Some of you maybe have met people or maybe you're thinking yourself as I'm talking about depression, you're thinking that a depressed Christian is a contradiction of the term. You cannot be a Christian and be depressed, but let me just let you in on something. That's not true. Unfortunately, depression has plagued some of the great heroes of our faith. If you look in the Bible, you look at heroes like Elijah who sat by the brook and asked that God would kill him. David, who wrote psalm after psalm, crying out to God, speaking of the anguish in his heart. And then you have the prophet Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. He wrote an entire book about his depression and sadness. It's a true page turner, the book of Lamentations. But not just in biblical history, but in church history. Pillars of the faith, Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon struggled with depression. Charles Spurgeon, who pastored the largest church in the United Kingdom, it would be estimated that some 15,000 people would hear him preach every single Sunday, said that I have spent more time shut up in depression than probably anyone in the world. If you are a depressed Christian, you're not alone. We have an enemy who we have shared in this series wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He will tell you lies. He will tell you that there is absolutely no way out of the darkness, that there's no way out of your despair, that there's no other solution other than living a miserable, sad life or ending your life altogether. But according to God's word, you can break free. You can break free from the darkness of depression. You can find hope in the morning, hope in the evening, because Jesus is alive, hope is alive. And so this morning, we're going to end this series talking about breaking free from the darkness of depression. Psalm 42 was written by one of the sons of Korah. We don't know his name, but the sons of Korah were a sect of Levitical priests who were responsible for writing and singing music for worship in the tabernacle and the temple. The Bible says here, if you read the notes, that this is a mascal. A mascal, we don't really know exactly how to translate that into an English word, but the translation or the understanding is that it is a song that instructs. This mascal was a song written to instruct our hearts and our minds towards God when we feel down, defeated, and depressed. Some scholars believe that this was written about King David when he was on the run from his son Absalom. Others believe that this psalm was written out of the personal experience of the psalmist. Regardless of whether it was about David or the psalmist, the psalmist here gives an honest and accurate account on depression and how believers can deal with it. So in this psalm, we will see the weariness of depression, 
and the way out. Number one, let's look at the weariness of depression. Three times in the psalm, the psalmist either asks himself a question or states it implicitly or explicitly that he is cast down. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you cast down on my soul? My soul is cast down. He is depressed. He then, in this psalm, takes us on the roller coaster of our lives. And many of you understand this roller coaster of highs and lows. And the highs can be high and the low can be low. But when the low is low, that's what he's talking about here. The depression of his soul. And in this, he describes what depression looks like. He tells us the why behind the depression, but also what it feels like. The first thing that we see is as he describes his depression is number one, he describes it as being spiritual desperation. He says in verse number one, as a deer pants for flowing streams. Now, some of you maybe remember that song that says, as a deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after thee. And it seems very quaint. It seems very cute, but that's not really the heart behind this metaphor. The psalmist is not describing some sort of flowing brook. He's describing a deer that is dying in desperate need for water. Now, as you think about panting and a deer panting, some of you maybe are deer hunters. Uh, maybe you've been out in the woods. You know a lot about deer. Uh, what I understand about deer is that the only reason a deer pants is for three reasons. A deer pants when they're chasing, when they're fighting, or when they're running. A deer pants when they're chasing a girl deer and can't catch them. A deer pants when they're fighting another deer over a girl deer. And the third reason is because they're running from someone trying to kill them. Well, this deer is desperate for relief. And the water that they're seeking is to cool them and calm them down, else they die. They are turning, this deer is turning to water to save him from death. And that is what the psalmist describes his own personal condition, that like a deer, he is dying, he is panting, he is on the run, and he is turning to God. Now, when you are depressed, when you are down, who or what you turn to matters. If you turn to anything or anyone other than God, then the thing that you're turning to is your functional savior. So some of you, when you are down and depressed, you turn to drugs, you turn to alcohol, you turn to self-medication. Others, when you're depressed, you go dark and you live in isolation away from everybody. Others will turn to pornography or some sort of sexual relationship, or you'll bury yourself in your work, or you'll try to make more money, or you'll buy things. When you are down, when you are depressed, when you are desperate, you will turn to other things. Well, here, this man is desperate for God. And he says that my soul thirsts for God, the living God. He has been chased down and hunted by his enemy. And the problem is, is that as he is seeking God, he can't feel God. He's in turmoil. He says, when shall I come and appear before the Lord? Literally, he says, God, when can I see your face? Because I am turning to you, but I don't feel you. I can't find you. I have lost the warmth and the joy that I once had. I have a numb, empty soul. I am desperate for you. I have lost that loving feeling. He says in verse seven, all your breakers 
and waves have gone over me. God, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, and, and you're not here to rescue me. In verse 9, he says, why have you forgotten me? Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? I am alone. I am, I am scared. I am desperate. I am down. I am defeated. And no one cares, not even you. See, once you understand that this guy is not a bad guy, he's a godly guy. His soul is parched. He has prayed and prayed and prayed and found no peace. He has read scripture after scripture after scripture and found no substance. He searched for joy and only found despair. And yes, Christians can be in this place, a place of spiritual desperation, a place of spiritual dryness. Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, as I said earlier, went through seasons of great depression. He was so bad that his wife had to take the knives out of the home in fear that he would kill himself. Luther wrote, for more than a week, I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled constantly. I could find no thoughts of Christ, only desperation and blasphemy of God. See, when you're depressed, there is a spiritual desperation. There's a spiritual dryness, and you feel like you are in a hole you cannot get out of, and you call out to God, and he doesn't seem to be there. But not only... Does he describe his depression as spiritual desperation, but also physical exhaustion? In verse three, he says, my tears have been my food both day and night. I'm worn out. I can't sleep. I can't eat. The only thing I'm eating is my tears. They're keeping me up at night. I'm too sad. I'm too hurt. I've lost my appetite. All I want to do is just lay around and I don't want to be around anybody. And, and every time I try to sleep, my mind is racing and I'm consumed with the sadness. See, these are signs of clinical depression. Either a loss of sleep or a lack of sleep or a desire to do nothing but sleep. A loss of appetite or a desire to eat and overeat. A loss of sexual drive. All of them are signs of clinical depression. See, what you have to understand is that your physical condition matters. How you take care of yourself matters. That's what the psalmist is telling us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a medical doctor and also a preacher, said about this text in this verse, he says, does anyone hold the view that as long as you're a Christian, it doesn't matter the condition of your body? He says, if you do, then you'll soon be disillusioned. Let me just put it to you in layman's terms. Do you know how unspiritual you get when you're hungry? <laughs> when you don't have enough sleep, do you understand? Have you ever heard the phrase hangry? You know, I've been told by people that say they love me <laughs> that when I'm hungry, I get angry. When I'm sleep deprived, I get angry. Now, in one sense, you could call that anger or even rudeness a spiritual problem. And in reality, my anger and rudeness is a spiritual problem, but it is triggered and exacerbated by my physical condition. I'm hungry. So you can't divorce physical conditions with spiritual symptoms and spiritual life issues. And that's why I said to you, as one guy said to me, that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is eat a good meal and take a nap. See, most of us, especially in the church world, but even in the medical world, we try to put all of our problems in one basket. 
And so we either reduce every problem or issue that we have as just being spiritual. And so the reason that you're depressed is it's a spiritual issue. Or we say the reason why you're depressed is biochemical. There's some sort of imbalance in your brain. I mean, right now, medical science, a lot of practitioners in mental health will say that the reason why most people, if not all people, are depressed is because of serotonin levels in the body. Mental health experts say that depression is caused by a lack of serotonin. Serotonin is a neurotransmitter in your brain that regulates bodily functions like mood, sleep, digestion, immunity, and sexual desire. In other words, most mental health experts say that depression is ultimately a chemical imbalance and the best treatment for chemical imbalance is an antidepressant medication that increases the level of serotonin. The problem is, is that not all depression is a neurotransmitter issue that medicine can cure. And so if you boil it all down to spiritual, you may not get the biochemical, but if you say it's all biochemical, you may neglect the spiritual or even the psychological or the emotional. In other words, depression and issues like depression are not as simplistic as we try to make them to be. Just as our brain and our body and our soul is very complex, so are these issues. And reality is, is that we do need to recognize that physical, biochemical, and psychological issues may partly be responsible for spiritual issues. But just as they may be responsible for spiritual issues, like being hungry makes me angry, we also have to understand that spiritual issues may also cause physical, biochemical, and psychological issues. You have to look at the issue holistically. And so the reality is that depression is complex, and it may come from multiple sources. So some of you may be depressed because of some sort of traumatic event that took place in your life something that you were a victim of or someone that you love was a victim of. Your depression may come as a result of some sort of personal sin, the guilt and the shame that you have from your past, something that you have done that you feel really bad about, you feel really down about. It has discouraged you. It has destroyed you. It may be a confessed sin that uh, you have shared with others or maybe an unconfessed sin that is eating the soul, your soul from the inside out. Others may be depressed because of stress, the stress of your job, the, the, the anxiety that, that comes from your future. You're worried about your future. You're worried about your children. You're worried about your finances. It, and ultimately, a lot of that boils down to an unbelief and a distrust of God. Some of you may just, you may just be depressed because you do have low serotonin in your brain, but it also could be because you're lonely. You are single or you have uh, someone in your, your, your spouse has is, is died or, or maybe, you, maybe you're depressed because of the death of a loved one, a best friend or a spouse or a family member. But you know what I found a lot of depression is actually linked to with some people is chronic illness or chronic pain. Well, what am I getting at here? Is it's not just simplistic that, that we are holistic people. And therefore, we have to understand that depression can be caused from different sources and it can manifest itself in different ways, but it will always have a sense of personal or physical exhaustion. The last symptom that he shares with us is not only spiritual desperation and personal exhaustion, but thirdly, is personal isolation. In verse three, he says, while others say to me, where is your God? Some scholars say that who is saying, where is your God, is actually his tears. The they are the tears that he is eating both day and night. That his tears are taunting him, saying, where is your God? 
Others say that it is others outside of him that is taunting him because he will actually address that in verse number 10 where his enemies, his adversaries will say, where is your God? Regardless, he is tormented. And he feels isolated. In verse four, he says, these things I remember. He's now getting nostalgic. He now goes back to, he says, how I would go with the throng, how I would go with a bunch of people and we would sing praises and, and go and shout praises and go to the festivals. And so he's now remembering the good old days where he used to go to church with his friends and his family. They would go to worship in Jerusalem. And now he's alone, now he's isolated, now he feels that no one loves him and no one understands him. He now feels like there's no one in his life. In verse five, he says, I remember you from the land of Jordan, from Hermon and Mount Mizar. Scholars say here uh, that the, the psalmist here is saying that he used to live in the south, in Jerusalem, but now he lives in the north. When he was in the south, he was happy. When he's in the north, he's miserable. And what does that tell us? It tells us that people are happier in the south. <laughs> Amen? I mean, this is why a lot of you from the north came to the south, because Jesus is down here in the south. Amen? And so you're down here where Jesus is. I mean, the sun is here. Amen? S-O-N and S-U-N. And so you go back north, and what happens to you? You get depressed. And so you got to come back down here. Now, that's not what this text is saying, but it did sound awful good. <laughs> what is he saying here? The, ultimately, what he's getting at is that he misses being around people. Do you know that gathering with other believers is important to your spiritual and mental health? That when you come to church, it's not just for your entertainment. It's not just for your information. It is to transform you, to change your heart. There is a supernatural power that comes when the saints of God gather for the worship of God and the house of God for the glory of God. See, God shows up. Souls are saved. Chains are broken. Lives are healed. Relationships are mended. Why? Because Christianity is not an individual sport. While I was in Tanzania, I went to the Ngorogoro um, crater, and we went on a safari. And we saw all kinds of animals, but one of the animals that I really wanted to see was the baboon. Just wanted to see a baboon. And so here's one in the Ngorogoro crater, and there he is. Now, do you know what a group of baboons is called? A troop. So here this baboon is, and he's not with his troop. Now, I don't have a video. I wish I would have had a video, but this guy is about 100, maybe 200 yards from the troop. He is, ta he is behind them, and he is limping. He is wounded. He is, he is literally dragging butt. <laughs> Just get behind them, and he is there by himself. And so the guide says, he says, that baboon right there is an easy target for the lion and the leopard. He says, that baboon will not survive long. He says, if he is wounded, his only chance of survival is to be with his troop or he will die. If you are in the very pits of depression, if you are wounded, if you are hurting, your best chance of survival is to be with the people of God, to not isolate yourself further. 
Well, here this man is, and he is spiritually desperate. He is physically exhausted. He is personally isolated. And this is the weariness of his depression. And that may be where you are this morning. You say, that's, that's me, preacher. You've been reading my mail. No, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today. What's the way out? The psalmist is going to give us three steps in digging out of depression. Now, I, I, I want to say right now that these three steps primarily deal with spiritual depression. Spiritual depression comes in your life when you believe and live out the lie of the enemy. Spiritual depression is a symptom that you have believed the lies of the enemy who say there's no way out. Now, others in this room, your depression may be spiritual, but also biochemical or psychological. And what I'm giving to you is not necessarily going to be as simplistic as uh, a remedy as you would hope for. But yet, I believe that these three things will help you deal with your depression and ultimately get the help that you need. But I want you to understand that depression is alive the enemy. Keith Ablo, uh, Dr. Keith Ablo said that depression is the grand imposter posing as all-powerful. It can be defeated every time you or the person you care about confronts it as the grand imposter it is. So if you are spiritually depressed, if you are down, if you feel defeated, if you feel like there's no way out, that's a lie. There is a way out because Jesus is alive. Hope is alive. So let me give you three ways out. Number one, we see it in the Psalm. If you're struggling with spiritual depression, the first thing you can do is pour out your soul to God. All throughout the psalm, the writer of this psalm is being very real. As a matter of fact, as you kind of read it, he seems like he is going all over the place. He starts, I'm looking for you, God. I can't find you, God. I'm eating my tears. And then he starts talking to himself, says, why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God. And then you think he's turned the corner. And then the next thing you know, he's down in the dumps again. Understand that this guy is writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he is pouring out his soul. You, you know where I found some of the fakest people on the planet? You know where the, some of the fakest people on the planet are? The church. Because when people ask us how we are, we, we're fine. We may be dying inside. We may be numb inside. We may be really depressed. We may be even suicidal today. And we say, I'm fine. Let me just say something. If, you have, if you're having thoughts of suicide, there's help. There's hope. Reach out to us. We'll help you. We'll talk to you. Get help. Find the people you need. You are a person made in the image of God. You are loved. But this particular song is a prayer. And let me just, it's not a safe prayer. You know, most of us, we just pray safe prayers. Most of our prayers are edited, filtered versions of our thoughts. And most of us, when we pray to God, we act like God doesn't know who we are or what we're going through. We try to clean it up. We try to make it not as bad because we sometimes think that Jesus can't even handle the truth. But you know the best therapy for your soul is telling it to God, is getting it out of you, for some of you, maybe praying. For, for, for some of you, maybe writing and journaling. But you got to get it out. You got to pour out your soul. You can't have Mickey Mouse, sugar coated, filtered prayers. You got to get real. You got to get raw. You got to get vulnerable. You got to tell it 
to Jesus. There's an old hymn that says, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus alone. If you want a way out of the darkness of depression, you've got to pour out your soul to God and be honest with God and say, this is what I'm going through. God, help me. Secondly, the psalmist teaches us that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Two stanzas here in verse five and verse 11, the psalmist says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Instead of listening to the lie that there is no way out, instead of listening to the lie of why we are depressed, Instead of listening to the lie of why we are defeated, we have to stop listening to ourselves and preach the gospel to ourselves. The enemy, our enemy, Satan, will tell us lies. He will whisper anti-gospel lives into our lives. He will speak condemnation over us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this verse said this. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him, so he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment, I will speak to you. Do you know who the most influential person in your life is? You. Because you talk to yourself more than anyone else. Have you ever been driving down the road and see somebody talk to themselves in the car? The other day, I was just driving down the road here in Naples, and this person, man, they were having a good conversation with themselves, or they were talking on Bluetooth. I, you know, one or the other, but they were. They, I mean, they were into it, man. You ever listen to yourself talk to yourself? We're, we're pretty hard on ourselves, aren't we? We're, we're pretty critical. We know all the facts, right? We, and here's the thing. We know the truth. We may be telling lies to everybody else, but we know how nasty, how sorry, how horrible we are more than anybody else. What the psalmist is saying is this. Stop listening to yourself and preach the gospel to yourself. See, one gospel sermon a week for me won't be enough for you. You have to be able to preach the gospel to yourself every day. See, the gospel of Jesus is not just what you need for eternal life. It's what you need for everyday life. See, when your emotions are telling you that there is nothing but darkness and nothing but despair, gloom and misery, you have to remind yourself that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross and came out of the grave, which means that he has a good plan for your life. That you're not defined by your past and you don't need to live in dread of your future because you're a born-again, spirit-filled child of God. Spurgeon said, I find no better cure for my depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart 
and seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my sin. Last Sunday, Dr. Clore used Romans 8, 31 through 39, one of my favorite passages of scripture. Romans 8 may be my favorite chapter in the Bible. And if you think about that, those of you that were here, you'll think about those wonderful verses. But let me just kind of give you an example of using those verses to speak to your soul. Here's how you do it. You're down, you're depressed, you're feeling bad, you're feeling bad about your sin and your past, you're feeling bad about your relationships, you're anxious about the future. Here's what you need to do. You with me? Here's how you do it. You say, self, shut up. I've heard from you, now it's time for you to listen to me. The Bible says, self, that if God is for you, who can be against you? So self, if God is for me, who cares who's against me? Self, God's word says that he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us. How he, will he with him not graciously give us all things? Self, if God gave us the very best in Jesus Christ, why do I worry about anything else? Self, the Bible says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? I know, self, that Satan will say bad things about you. Your wife will say bad things about you. Your kids will say bad things about you. But who cares what they say? Because it is God who justifies. Self, who is it to condemn? There's a lot of people that will condemn you. But Christ Jesus is the one who died for you, was raised for you, and is interceding at the right hand of God for you. Who's going to separate you, self, from the love of Christ? Nothing and no one. So shut up and live in the love of Jesus. Now, if you preach the gospel to yourself out loud, do it when no one's around. <laughs> Pour out your soul to God. Preach the gospel to yourself. Get a passage of scripture and you just preach it. I mean, you preach your own sermon. John three sixteen, Romans chapter eight, Philippians chapter four. You, you get in God's word and you preach it. Here's the last one. Stay with me. Nobody leave. You got nowhere else to go for a minute. Last one is this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Pour out your soul. Preach the gospel. Praise the Lord. Verse 5 and verse 11 have both these same phrase. I shall again praise him. The psalmist here is instructing himself that even though he didn't feel like it, he was going to praise the Lord anyway. The first time I heard those words, Buana Asafiwe in Tanzania this past week, the first time I heard it, I didn't feel like praising the Lord. I just got out of a plane. I was exhausted. I was jet lagged. I woke up and I didn't say good morning, Lord. I woke up and said, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> Listen, there are days I don't feel like coming to church. Can I get a witness on that one? There are days I don't feel like singing. There are days I don't feel like preaching. There's days I don't feel like praying. But you know what? I do it anyway. And when I do it, God changes my heart. Because here the psalmist says, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him. I may not understand him. I may not feel him. I may not know what's going on. But I'm going to praise the Lord. 
He says in verse six, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is over me. God gives us a song. Paul Purvis, a good friend of mine, said about this passage, he says that even in our moments of greatest need, God will put a song on our hearts in tune with his. What's the song about? It's not really what the song's about, it's who the song's about. What's the song about that we can praise the Lord for? Verse five and verse 11, I, will pra- I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The word, the Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeshua, Jesus. So the psalmist is saying, I shall praise again my Jesus and my God. See, Jesus is both our salvation and he's our God. Think about this, centuries before Bethlehem, the sons of Korah wrote about the one who would be the fulfillment of their hope and their prayer, Jesus. See, in the dark night of the soul, the only hope we have in life and in death is Jesus. If you've got nothing to praise anything, if you've got nothing to praise God about, you always have Jesus to praise God about. See, you can either live your life pouting over what you don't have, or you can live your life praising for what you do have in Jesus. But as you think about this psalm, we can think about it through the lens of Jesus. Think about Psalm 42 through the person and work of Jesus. Think about Jesus' life. He walked into the Garden of Gethsemane. He fell on his face, sweat, drops of blood. He asked his disciples to pray for him. Why? Because his soul was in turmoil. When he was on the cross, you remember on the cross, he pushed on those nails in his feet and he cried, I thirst. He could have said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. As the psalmist felt absolutely alone, Jesus on the cross heard the taunts of the crowd saying, where is your God? Where is your God? And even Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus knows what it's like to live through Psalm 42. Jesus experienced on the cross the dark night of the soul, and yet he did it without sin. And on the cross, when the odds seemed against him and all of hell was let loose on him, he said, it is finished. What is finished? Depression is finished. Defeat is finished. Death is finished. Satan is finished. Hell is finished. The grave is finished. Hope is alive. And that's why we praise him. That even though we can't feel him, and even though we don't understand him, and even though in the moment we may not like him, we praise him anyway. And let's end with this. Verse 7 has got a strange phrase here. It says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers, and your waves have gone over me. How do you, what does this deep mean? Deep calls to deep. I'm drowning and deep calls to deep. What is that about? 
You can interpret it as deep is the deepest places of your soul is calling out to God. Deep calls to deep. Another way of interpreting it is the deep here speaks of the ocean. In Genesis chapter one, verse two, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and was void. Darkness covered the face of the earth and the spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep. The deep here could speak of the ocean or chaos. I am drowning in the chaos of my broken life. I'm drowning. I'm in trouble. And I, in the midst of the deep, in the midst of the chaos, deep is calling out to deep. The one thing the psalmist recognizes that as he is drowning, he is blaming God. Your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. God, I am drowning and you don't care. I am drowning. I am dying. But what the psalmist is also teaching us is that even though we think we're dying, even though we think we're drowning, God is actually the one in control of the entire process. And so one pastor put it this way. He says, on one hand, you feel like you're drowning. Some of you right now, you feel like you're drowning. But he says, when you call out to God, when deep calls out to deep, you realize that his love is actually the ocean and you're drowning in it. See, what you think is killing you may be God actually saving you. That he brings you to the depths of yourself so that you will rise and call out to the depths of the one who loves you. Let's end with this. I said, I already said that. Let me do it again. John Mark McMullen wrote a song, How He Loves Us. You ever heard of it? The song is now 14 years old. And it's been somewhat controversial because there's a line in there that says, sloppy wet kiss. And so we hear, we, we change that because that just sounds weird. And we call it unforeseen kiss. But there's a line in the song that says this, if you remember it says, if his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Let me tell you about the backstory of that song. John Mark wrote this song out of deep pain and out of deep hurt and out of deep anger in his life. As he was starting to write this song, he actually shared it with one of his best friends, a guy named Stephen. And the day that he shared just some of the sketches of this song with his best friend, Stephen, that very day, his best friend, the whole wide world, Stephen, died in a car accident. And so he rewrote the song. He was hurting. And instead of telling us in the song how much God loves us, he wrote about how God loves us. See, God loves you very much. But it's not just how much God loves you, but it's how God loves you. And here's what John Mark says. He says, it was how he loves us, the way he loves us. His, he loves us in ways that are not like we think. They're better than we think. If you're struggling with depression, there's hope. The hope is not found in your circumstances. The hope is found in Christ. This psalm is teaching us that our hope is built on nothing less than the love of Jesus Christ.
And so pour out your soul to Jesus. Preach the gospel of Jesus to your soul and praise the Lord for Jesus and how he loves you. I hope this has been a good series. The Lord put it on my heart a few months ago and here's where we are. Some of you have experienced the grace and forgiveness of God in this, these past few weeks. Some of you have learned the process of breaking free from the lies of the enemy. And some of you today, you're struggling yourself right now. You, you want to break free, you're struggling. Maybe you're here today and you want to break free. Or maybe you're here today and you have a family member or a friend that is living in the bondage of the lies of the enemy and you want them to break free. Well, here's what I want you to do. This, I never, ever, rarely ever do what I'm about to do. But I believe it's important. One man said that God does business with those who mean business. Do you believe that? I do. As deep calls out to deep. If you're here today and either you yourself are struggling and you wanna break free, or you have a family member or friend and you are praying for them to break free, would you just stand where you are? Just stand up. Just stand up. Let's praise the Lord for these people, amen. So church family, look around, the people that are standing up, that I want you to go be a brother or a sister to them and I want you to come and lay hands on them. So go to, go to the other people that are standing up. You, everybody, you and I get up, you go to these people that are standing up. If you kind of lose track of who's standing up, then just pray with somebody, all right? Go, go, go to them, I don't care where you are, you pray over them. Go to them where they are, where they're standing. They, they have said, God, I mean business and I wanna break free or I got a family that wants to break free. So you just go right there. You don't have to know their issues. You just lay hands on them. Pray with them. And then pray out loud. Somebody there, pray over these people out loud. I mean out loud, do it right now. Pray for them. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church, go out and be the church, have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.